I am Angela, and uh, I can't drink alcohol in a safe manner. Um, thank you for inviting me to uh, share my experience with your meeting. So I was born a poor white child and um, in Boise, Idaho. Um, I've, I've never lived anywhere else. Um, I've uh, you know, spent some time on an internship in another city and stuff, but, uh, but yeah, mostly it's been here. Um, my parents were both alcoholics and their parents were alcoholics and, um, you know, and it's a long, long, long line. So, um, you know, um, it was pretty much inevitable. Uh, I thought that I had had beat it, though, because um, I didn't start drinking in a uh, dysfunctional way until my uh, late 20s. Um, Instead, I uh, compulsively overate, and so that's part of my story as well. Is that um, that I was um, an obese person and uh, and you know ate my feelings, um, you know, up until I got gastric bypass surgery, and uh, and when I had that, I started drinking alcoholically almost immediately um, because as soon as I started to lose weight, people were looking at me and paying attention to me. And, uh, and I was uncomfortable with that. I didn't have a lot of coping skills. Um, and so I started drinking alcoholically. Um, and, uh, and it went downhill really quick. Um, I, I blamed my parents because I was blacking out um, fairly quickly. Up until that time, I never drank enough to, to even get a hangover. Um, but you know, almost immediately I, I started blacking out and, um, and I figured it was because my parents were alcoholics, uh, you know, and, and sure, I'm, I'm sure that played part of it. Also having half a digestive system <laughs> played part of it and the amount of alcohol that I was consuming. Um, so, uh, all of those were, you know, things that, that led me to, um, to, uh, drinking the way I did, um. And, uh, you know, I, I knew that, the, that there was a problem. I, I never, you know, as soon as uh, the blacking out was happening, I, I you know, couldn't uh, convince myself that, you know, it was something else. Um, but it did take a little while for me to, to be able to get help, um, partially because I knew what AA was. Um, I'd been to Alateen as a kid. And, uh, and so I, I knew the slogans and the 12 steps and such. And, and uh, so when it came time for me to, to decide to get help, uh, you know, when I became suicidal enough to, you know, decide, you know, either I'm going to have to do something about this or, or, you know, not exist anymore. Um, I, I, I researched uh, and, uh, and I, I looked to see if, uh, AA had become any more progressive than it was when I was a kid. Um, uh, because during this whole time, you know, I didn't have too much of a problem with the, the God language and stuff when I was a, you know, a preteen. Um, that was, that seemed pretty normal for the area that I lived in. Uh, but, uh, you know, I had, I had, you know, grown up and I'd gone to school and I was going to become a, a, um, a minister in the United Methodist Church and attend uh, 
theology school. And as I was doing, you know, uh, research in history, I realized that I, I couldn't jump through hoops anymore and, and make things make sense or try to, you know, rationalize or bring things together when I looked over the whole arc of history and religion. And so I became an atheist. And, um, and so I didn't really, you know, think that AA would be that helpful if they were still using the same language. I went anyway, and um, I was very honest from the beginning that I didn't know if I was going to be able to do this because um, I was uh, secular. And, uh, and most people were pretty cool about it. Um, you know, I think part of it was that, you know, a lot of them believed that I would eventually, you know, um, uh, get into the higher power thing. Uh, but, you know, um, a lot of people would come up to me and tell me, you know, about what their higher power was or how they thought of it. And it was very rarely, you know, a traditional view of a, a higher power. And so that was really helpful to me. Um, they pointed me in the direction of um, someone who could sponsor me that was um, Buddhist. And so that was really helpful. Um, you know, I found that uh, the way that she spoke about things um, was, was uh, she used a similar language. And, uh, and so she helped me to create basically a secular to AA translator um, that, uh, that helped me to be able to relate in meetings um, and stuff. You know, I was never into the, uh, you know, uh, hit your knees before you go to bed at night and, you know, and in the morning, you know, to, to say prayers and stuff like that. And, and so I, I, you know, learned that, okay, basically they're, they're saying, you know, check in and, and uh, see how your day went, you know, basically a 10 step <laughs> um, as I learned later. Um, and, uh, and I could do that. Um, and so she took me through the steps. I had found a book when I was in my teens called um, uh, The Alternative 12 Steps, A Secular Guide to Recovery by uh, Martha Cleveland and uh, Arliss G. And, uh, you know, and it's, uh, it's now, you know, reprinted um, out of uh, the Toronto area with Roger C. Um, but uh, at the time that I found it, you know, there weren't very many copies around. Um, and uh, my sponsor agreed to go through the 12 steps, uh, kind of utilizing that and then just kind of the way that she did them. And, and it's a little bit different than, you know, how other people do it. So, you know, with us, you know, step one, it was more of a exploring, you know, what, uh, what kind of brought me to this place in my life. Um, you know, did I really think I had a problem um, with this? And, uh, and then, you know, what, uh, what had helped me um, stay sober uh, up until that point of working the steps. And, um, and that led me into step two, um, because for step two, we kind of look at it as resources. What are the resources in your life that, um, that are uh, powers greater than you? So, um, you know, for me, oftentimes it's the collective wisdom of uh, AA. Um, sometimes it's uh, expert wisdom. Uh, you know, like when I my car has a problem, I take it to a mechanic because they uh, they have more wisdom on cars than I do. So um, so two was more about looking um, to how I could gain um, perspective on any sort of thing that came up. Um, and, uh, and with three, uh, she had me, uh, write my own, uh, version of the third step prayer because the third step prayer is a big deal 
in this area. And, uh, and so I wrote something along the lines of, since uh, I know I'm not the center of the universe, perhaps I could do something uh, helpful or kind for others today. And I had to put perhaps in there because I don't like being bossed around. And so I wanted to make sure that, you know, it was my, <laughs> my thing. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so that was helpful to me. And uh, one of the things that I think is humorous is that, you know, it's been some time now and I've had people that I've sponsored and then they've sponsored people and, you know, the whole, how the whole line thing goes. And I had somebody who, you know, was probably like five people, you know, sponsee away from me, asked to meet with me because um, her sponsor was out of town and, and she was having some difficulties with, uh, with this uh, step. Um, and so we were going through things and she's like, so where do I put my, um, my personal manifesto? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and she's like, the personal manifesto. And, uh, and it turns out that's, you know, what I referred to as, you know, my uh, third step affirmation. It had somehow, you know, via the telephone game turned into um, a personal manifesto. And, and that really worked for, for these people who were using it, you know, particularly younger people <laughs> than me. Um, and, uh, and so we talked about, you know, the personal manifesto and, and I like that, um, because it, it's basically the same thing. It's like, you know, what, what do I think about, you know, how I want to handle things in the future? If, um, if I feel triggered to drink, if, I, you know, a relationship goes sour, if, uh, you know, how am I going to approach it differently than I have in the past? What do I want, you know, my, my, you know, ideal self to do in these situations. And, uh, and I love that. So, um, so yeah, uh, for the fourth step for me, the original time I, I went through it, I was one of those people that got like, you know, the fancy notebook, I had to have all the colored pencils, and I lined the entire notebook, <laughs> except the last 10 pages, because I thought I was really going to have a whole lot of stuff to write, you know, I had issues and uh, yeah, um, except the last 10 pages. So apparently, you know, I did think that there were some people who, you know, were worse than me, because, uh, you know, they, they would need those I wouldn't um, and uh, what was helpful with doing a fourth step at least the way that I did it um, was one you know that uh, we kind of talked about it along the way so it wasn't just a write a whole bunch of stuff and then do a fifth step it was you know write some things to see you know where you're at on the process and then talk about them and and that was helpful to me because uh, my sponsor was able to point out some areas where I was taking responsibility for things that weren't mine. Um, you know, um, so particularly anything that, you know, happened to me as a, as a child was, was not mine, you know, I'm sure there are behaviors that I engage in as an adult, um, based on, you know, what I learned <laughs> in those experiences. And that is, you know, my responsibility to change, you know, if I want to. Um, but, you know, um, the, the actual situations and stuff were not mine to take responsibility for. And, and that was huge and really, really helpful to me um, and made the process a lot a lot easier. Um, and, the, and that was one of the things I learned as, you know, they were called character defects in some places. Um, I, you know, just consider them coping skills, um, coping mechanisms. And, uh, and as I went through the steps, you know, I see them as um, 
as things that, uh, that I developed throughout my life, oftentimes early as a child, um, that were necessary. You know, I had to be manipula manipulative as a child to get my needs met. My parents, you know, were, were alcoholics and, uh, and didn't always pay attention to things like, you know, regular food schedules or keeping, you know, the lights on and electricity and things like that, you know? And so I had to learn to, you know, manipulate situations in order to get my needs met. And, um, and as an adult, you know, going through this, um, I, you know, I had some friends, I, I still have friends, thank goodness. Uh, but as I was going through, you know, the steps the first time, um, my friends did them a lot differently than me. So when I get together with people who are somewhat in the same um, sobriety timeline, um, you know, theirs would look very differently on, on, you know, how they thought of them and, and that, you know, they were supposed to, you know, ask for these things to be taken away. And, and for me, that, that doesn't work um, because I, I may need this in the future. You know, there are definitely times when manipulation is what is needed uh, for a certain thing. And, uh, and that would really suck if, you know, there was a higher power that actually listened to you and, and, you know, and took away manipulation at a time when that might help me and save the world you never know so um, so I I don't think of them as uh, one as negative things anymore I, I try to look at where it came from you know um, why it was developed and is it serving me now or is there something else that I can do instead and it turns out I rarely you know manipulation isn't something that should be my go-to. <laughs> that uh, open-mindedness and asking questions and collaboration is apparently the uh, adult way to handle things or it's supposed to be. And uh, um, so, yeah, so that's how I think of those now and how when I've taken people through the steps, um, that's how I, I try to help them uh, consider it as well. Kind of like, a, okay, this is something, um, control issues or whatever, controlling situations. It was something that's helpful. Um, and you can kind of like fold it up the Marie method or something and put it away, you know, in a closet somewhere and maybe you'll need it sometime and maybe you won't. Um, but uh, now you know what it is, where it came from and that you have a choice. Um, and so, when I was learning these things, uh, my sponsor would make me write down on a, a note card, you know, what the the uh, character uh, asset or um, coping skill was, and then a couple of um, alternatives on the other side that might be more healthy. And so that kind of that helped me to be able to really. Um, consider that so that, you know, they were available when I started to freak out or, or feel insecure or, you know, whatever it was. Um, and then I'd have it right there like, oh, wait, I can do this instead. Super helpful. Um, you know, um, I, I, like I said, I didn't ask for anything to be taken away or uh, just, you know, more understood and to, to learn what more resources were. Um, going through and uh, making amends and, and, you know, the eighth and ninth step. Um, that, I think, was a helpful process to do with another person as well, because there were things that I probably would have handled differently if I hadn't talked to a sponsor about how to uh, go about um, you know, taking responsibility for some of the stuff, you know, and, and one of the biggest things I learned was that sometimes making amends is setting a boundary. And that was huge for me because, it, it, you know, there are certain 
uh, people in my life that it would have been worse, um, you know, for them, for me, uh, if I, you know, had gone to them and said, hey, this is, you know, what happened, this is how it made me feel, and, you know, how can I, I uh, make amends, you know, um, they would have, you know, they're narcissists, they would have run all over with that, and, um, and so learning that setting a boundary um, is a part of the amends process, at least in, in my perspective, um, was a pretty big deal. Um, in my life, I either didn't have any boundaries at all, you could run all over me, um, or I had a huge wall. And, uh, and a lot of my um, recovery experience has been uh, trying to uh, find a middle ground between those two extremes. Um, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, I'm better at it. And sometimes I'm not. That's one of the language things I like from the Buddhist community is uh, skillful. You know, sometimes I, I handle things skillfully, and sometimes I don't. And, uh, and that I have the opportunity to be more skillful. And, uh, and if I'm less skillful, it doesn't mean that, you know, I failed, or I'm a horrible person or anything like that. It means that I have opportunities to gain some skill in an area. Um, you know, so uh, through the rest of the, the steps, um, again, you know, most of it was, uh, was a little bit different on step 11. I look at that as, you know, kind of a continuing education step. It's where I, I continue to seek outside resources for different things. So, you know, I've done all sorts of counseling um, and research. I, I, you know, love how um, the 12 steps are basically a cognitive behavioral therapy method and that um, that I can uh, look at, you know, how that applies to a lot of the different things in my life that I've I've tried to use to cope with life. Um, and uh, and then with, you know, step 12, uh, you know, how can I help other people? And these days I find it's mostly outside of the, you know, AA community, but um, but it's still, you know, a, a lot of the same ideas to me on being helpful. Um, I've, I've had to learn and, and sometimes, again, I'm better at it than others, you know, how much responsibility to take, how much service work to do, um, you know, um, Sometimes um, I have to look at, you know, my motivations as to why I want to do something or don't want to do something. Um, and, you know, the biggest thing, which I feel like, you know, goes into the previous speaker is that I think all of this has been about relationships. Um, you know, um, I, I think that uh, that. <laughs> When I was earlier in recovery, I went to a whole bunch of different meetings. I went to a different meeting every day and in different locations so that I could see and get to know a lot of different types of people and how they um, acted in recovery, you know, how, how they moved about, how they understood um, this whole thing to go. Um, and that was really helpful because when I did have uh, close relationships and some of them relapsed, I wasn't so tied to that group of friends that, you know, I had to join them, which I saw happen a few times. Um, it also helped in that when I was learning, um, how to handle hurt feelings. You know, when, when somebody hurt my feelings, a friend, uh, one of them said something um, like, I became friends with her through a guy I dated and then we broke up and she had made some sort of comment about, um, you know, and it, it wasn't really anything major. It was just kind of something about uh, being friends with him 
first. I, I took that, you know, really uh, poorly. And so um, I talked to my sponsor about it because my feelings were very hurt. And uh, and I had started a, a strongly worded email to her about it. <laughs> and, um, and my sponsor suggested a book called uh, Nonviolent uh, Communication Skills. And so um, from that, I learned how to not use I statements as a weapon, which is something I had gotten pretty good at, which was, you know, being able to say, you know, when this happened, you know, you made me feel uh, that, you know, that kind of a thing. And, um, and I, and so I learned how to, to say, you know, this is what happened. And this is, you know, um, the, you know, what I made out of it, you know, um, is this correct? You know, um, I was taking what the statement was, is, is that you, you know, feel like you have a stronger friendship to him because you've been friends longer uh, than you have to me, you know, is this what you meant? You know, and, uh, and most of the time I'm wrong on what, you know, I thought it was. And, uh, uh, but it gives the person the opportunity to be able to clarify, you know, and sometimes it might be that, yeah, you know, that's exactly what I said. And then I have a different opportunity to learn how to uh, cope with or make sense or process whatever that is. Um, because, you know, I've learned that, yeah, people will let you down. Um, and I've let people down. And how do I continue to try to live a, a sober, healthy life? Um, with that as a reality. Um, you know, early in sobriety, I, I, I would sometimes get tripped up because uh, negative things would happen or something, you know, I didn't like, or like I said, my feelings would get hurt and, uh, and it would be painful. And I'd be like, well, you know, maybe I didn't do a step right. You know, I, I obviously didn't do this right, or maybe I need to do this. And, and it turns out that, yeah, I really don't think that there is a whole lot of right um, that, uh, that, you know, things happen and learning how to adjust um, and process things is, is the biggest uh, part to me. And it continues to be, um, you know, I, I found uh, that five years into my recovery, um, I, I thought I was doing really good. You know, um, I, you know, uh, did okay with work. I was actually trying to be responsible, that kind of stuff. And, uh, <laughs> and, um, and then I got into a long-term relationship and yeah, and that's when I learned that that's really when, uh, the, <laughs> the personal growth happens is, uh, you know, uh, when you have another person trying to, um, you know, uh, interact with you and that they may not, uh, you know, have the same um, ideas on, on how to go through personal growth and, uh, and adjusting to that and just the triggers that close relationship bring. Um, that, uh, that I had to look at these different things about myself that I wouldn't have worked on had I not been in a relationship because I didn't know they existed. They only came out uh, when really close intimacy was involved. And, uh, and that was really annoying um, <laughs> because for a while I thought that, well, you know, if things don't work out, I will just be single again. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll have some serenity again. And, um, and yeah, what I learned was that, but, you know, possibility, but also my, my growth um, would have been stunted. And, um, and so, you know, uh, while it's uh, extremely painful, I think um, it's also very important uh, for me and my growth to, to continue to, 
to learn uh, these things. So these days I, I spend a lot of time um, learning about adverse childhood experiences. Um, I uh, spend less time on the steps and more time on um, learning how to identify, you know, different parts of my body and feelings that uh, might be residing there uh, from trauma and such. And, uh, and I don't think that I would have got to this point um, had I not gone through um, the steps and, and been a part of this, um, this community. Um, I never liked the word fellowship, <laughs> but uh, community works a lot better for me. Um, you know, it, it was, you know, part of the process to open my mind up to different ways of thinking about things and to really letting other people help me um, look at, at uh, different ideas and, um, and, you know, not trying to hold on to that my way is the best way because I thought of it. Um, and, uh, you know, I never really thought of myself as, as uh, you know, being stubborn in that kind of way. I always thought that I was open-minded, but it took um, coming into a community of, of actually not very like-minded people in a lot of ways um, to be able to learn how to work with other people. You know, doing service work is, uh, is really a huge way to start learning about yourself and how you function and how you get along. I learned that I can't be on committees, you know, and, and I try every couple of years to see if I've grown any in that. And no, I, I am still not a committee person. Um, and, uh, you know, talking one-on-one um, -on -one is, uh, is a great way for me to be of service. Um, and, you know, continuing to be honest uh, with myself, um, and in the way that I, I present my recovery. Again, you know, I don't usually identify myself uh, as saying, uh, I'm Angela, I'm an alcoholic anymore, um, because it, it doesn't feel um, as authentic. Um, yes, you know, I, I you know, consider that, um, but the truth is that I just can't drink alcohol safely. You know, I, I also can't use heroin in a safe way. You know, I, it's never been a part of my story, but it's true. Um, so I, I try to be the most authentic and use the, the you know, most authentic language that I can and uh, share that with people um, so that, you know, uh, they'll feel either included or maybe identify more um, because uh, the language that uh, was around and that a lot of people still use um, wasn't very helpful to me. And I had to seek out others and create meetings, uh, you know, secular meetings so that uh, I had a place where I could start uh, using the language that felt the most comfortable and and that's helped me you know uh, stay sober and help others so i think that's uh, about it for me so thank you